I know you think you've heard the worst thing ever already. You've been diagnosed with cancer. But take a deep breath. The other C word has just been mentioned. Chemotherapy. There, it did just get worse. And you know how this one goes. But wait, let's take a deep breath. Chemotherapy is hard, but it's possible this is not going to be as bad as you imagine. After all, it's been a long time and treatments have improved since they made most of those movies showing horrible chemotherapy side effects. Medical science has moved on. Researchers work hard every day to improve treatments, tweaking doses to alleviate the side effects of chemo. So maybe it's not going to be quite as bad as you think. Yeah, you're in the right area. Yep, welcome to the department. We're expecting you for your first treatment today. How are you feeling? Come on straight through. We've got a chair ready for you. Here we are at the Day Oncology Ward of St John of God in Ballarat. It's a new one since I did my chemotherapy. It's bright, modern, huge windows look out at the trees and all the views. It's quite a lovely room. Liz McEncrew is the nurse unit manager. Yeah, we're very lucky with our beautiful new day oncology area. Trying to offer every little treatment area access to a big window where they can patients can kind of zone out a little bit, look outside. We've got a TV in every bay and they're very rarely on unless there's, you know, it's the Melbourne Cup running or something. They're just People are much more interested in sort of looking outside, looking at the treetops, watching people come and go out of the car park. And often in their first treatment, privacy is a bit more important and they'll have their curtains shut or feel that need to kind of create a space that's very much their own. But we do find in subsequent treatments that they're engaging much more in the other patients in the department or the volunteers as they come through. And slowly but surely, they just sort of relax a little bit and the whole space becomes something that part of them and something they own. Craig Carden is a medical oncologist. In your treatment team, the medical oncologist is the one that's going to plan your chemotherapy treatments. I'm a medical oncologist, which started off looking after and prescribing helping people with cancer through the use of chemotherapy. But now we use targeted agents and immunotherapy and a whole range of options. When did chemotherapy first get started as a treatment for cancer? Well, they first realised that chemotherapy could help with cancers back in the 60s and 70s when they found that platinum electrodes placed into jars of bacteria killed some of the bacteria. So from that they developed some chemotherapy agents which they used with greatest effect in lymphomas and testicular cancers initially before moving into the breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer worlds so that through all all the different types of cancer there's a role for chemotherapy for all of them at the moment. Chemotherapy drugs are tough on you because they're working to destroy any cells in your body that divide quickly, which are the cancer cells, but there's quite a few other body cells that fall into that category as well. That's entirely right. Chemotherapy drugs, a lot of them target the DNA because to divide rapidly, you've got to churn through and reproduce a lot of DNA in the cell that you're targeting. So chemotherapy drugs often interrupt the duplication of the DNA within the cell sort of impair the division of the cell by attacking what are called microtubules. Some of the chemotherapy drugs also block the untangling sort of machines in the cell that reproduce the DNA as well. Most people know that they make you lose your hair. And it also affects the bone marrow where the white cells and the red cells and the platelets are made so people can have low blood counts, can feel tired because of that. It affects the gut causing diarrhoea and as you say the hair 
And your gut is also, although you don't really see it so much, but it's one of the regions where there's lots of dividing cells that Mm, that go on all the time. However your chemotherapy is planned, it's not necessarily going to be the same as anybody else's experience. Heather McAvale was one of my chemotherapy nurses. Some people might have a short subcup chemotherapy where they come in and have an injection into their tummy. They could be only here for half an hour where we have patients that are here all day because of their regime. So some patients are here from nine to four and they just watch us run around and run around. And some patients come back daily and have their treatment for three or four days. So like, there's so many different regimes of chemotherapy and treatments and cycles that that's the thing. It's just so different for everybody. Heather, these are pretty dangerous drugs that you're using and even we as patients need to be a bit careful. It's important that people understand that these drugs are pretty serious type of drugs, that your body, part of your fluid is sort of toxic. And that's when we educate patients when they go home on ways to safe handling in the home and things like that. So it's important that families and carers know all about that as well. And there's the phenomena known as the double flush. We just recommend people that are having chemotherapy just to double flush the toilet, just to make sure that all the sort of toxic agents have gone through through the system. Some people say to do it, some people don't, but I, I think it's a good idea to do it, yeah. Most of the chemotherapy is out of the body within 72 hours. Just to give everybody a Cancer Biology 101, cancer cells are your ordinary cells and they kind of go rogue they They, stop doing they lose control of their ability to regulate themselves they work out how to grow blood vessels around themselves they don't die in a normal way like normal cells they just keep on growing and growing and growing and their prime method and their prime goal in life is to make more of themselves which is why they take over from normal cells and invade into normal cells and spread throughout the body when it comes to chemotherapy there are improvements being made all the time Chemotherapy, for example, in the 1970s was pretty rough. One of the biggest revolutions was development of medications which completely or hopefully almost completely obliterate nausea. So we can say to people with sort of a good degree of confidence that they're likely to be expecting minimal nausea or any vomiting while they're having chemotherapy, which is really reassuring to people because that's often the thing, along with hair loss, that they're most concerned about. But I guess for people that are looking at deciding chemotherapy or not chemotherapy, you you really shouldn't base your decision on what other people tell you. You you get a lot of individual reaction to the drugs. Some people continue working. Mm, Absolutely. The new chemotherapy agents and our way of administering them are light years apart from how chemotherapy used to be given. The drugs don't cause so much nausea. They can cause tiredness, but we've got medications now to bump up white cells, which can prevent infection. We've got scalp cooling caps, which can help prevent hair loss, and all of the nausea medications, which can really make sure that people don't experience much or any nausea at all. The biggest changes, I would say, from a nursing point of view, the antiemetic management is just out of this world. We now often give one drug that will have a seven-day duration of antiemetic effect. When I first started, and sadly it has been well over 20 years of oncology nursing, but I do remember the days of patients really vomiting through a lot of their treatment and must finding their nausea hard to manage. And not a word of a lie, I cannot remember the last time I remember having a patient whose any of their side effects we couldn't alleviate with the drugs we've got available. And the side effects are getting better at managed. 
And the real emphasis on keeping patients in the outpatient setting as much as possible. You're really individualising treatments for patients to make sure that you're taking out as many cells as you can but not dropping people's health down too far. And mm. it's, it's a real integrated approach, isn't it? It is. It's kind of individualised in that we adjust the medications around the chemotherapy for each person depending upon how their previous exposure to the chemotherapy has gone. But we use regimens, recipes that have been established over the last 20 or 30 years through international trials. So all of our chemotherapy regimens are specific for each individual setting. So there'll be a regimen we use for people who have had an operation and we're using mopping up chemotherapy for breast cancer, for example. There'll be a different regimen we use for people who've got metastatic breast cancer, different drugs, sometimes the same drugs, but the drugs which have been established to be more effective in each of those settings than the other drugs we could use. How do you come up with a treatment plan for a cancer survivor? When I came to you as a patient, you came out with a lot of statistics, which was something that I found really confusing at the time. We look at the individual characteristics of both the person, the patient, and the tumour. And obviously we've got more options, more range, and we can be a bit more aggressive with a young person compared with someone in their 70s or 80s. And there are other medical problems that people might have that we have to factor in. But when it comes down to the tumour, we look at the size of the tumour, how aggressive it's looking, where the lymph nodes are involved, and whether it has, say, oestrogen receptor in the context of breast cancer, meaning that the person's tumour is likely to be sensitive to oestrogen blocking or hormonal manipulation. So we get all of those factors and we work out some sort of sense of the risk of the tumour coming back, because if the tumour is just not coming back because it's a small little benign tumour which is not going to cause any problems, you don't need to be using chemotherapy. If it's a very aggressive-looking tumour, if there are a number of high-risk features, then there's going to be more benefit from the chemotherapy and we can use a regimen which is going to be more toxic because the more toxic regimens have more benefit in terms of translating into a better overall survival and longer term before the disease comes back, if it is going to come back. So when people are coming to see you, Craig, you must get used to that deer-in-the-spotlight look. It must be really hard for people to decide what to do next. Everyone always has the option of not having chemotherapy. There are hormone agents we can use. Sometimes people just decide that chemotherapy is not for them and we take that into account and we sort of describe the benefit of chemotherapy. And chemotherapy is not for everyone and any particular benefit and the individual situation, chemotherapy is either going to be very helpful or a little bit helpful. So we try and factor all of those things into as well as a healthy lifestyle and you know good surveillance against cancer coming back and emotional support and social support and so on, factor all those things into a decision about whether chemotherapy is going to be helpful the patient's individual preferences for information and for degree of guidance that they would like or prefer in making that decision. Do mostly patients leave it to you to suggest what to do? It varies, but you know, really fundamentally, one way or another, the bottom line is it's the patient's decision. And some people want to be guided. Some people, it's sort of fairly black and white. They either there's no role for chemotherapy or they should definitely have the chemotherapy. Even then, the patient has their ultimate decision. And some people say, even despite what we think would be really appropriate chemotherapy, use no thanks, don't want chemotherapy, it's not for me at my stage of life. These are my philosophical beliefs and having chemotherapy would be against those beliefs. But it's a range, it's a sort of constant discussion and you try and clarify the decision that's being made and the sort of the intensity of the recommendation to have chemotherapy or not. Hearing that you have to have chemotherapy is a pretty serious It holds a lot of terror for people. You've seen many, many hundreds and possibly thousands of people go through chemotherapy. What is it that you would like people to know about chemotherapy? The more I see people going through chemotherapy and the more I see people coming back 
six months, 12 months, a year, two or three years down the track, the more I'm aware that having cancer and having chemotherapy, just even having cancer, not necessarily having the chemotherapy, but particularly having the cancer, then having some other treatment which goes on for three or six months, makes it a defined period in people's lives. So you see people come into it, get a cancer diagnosis and a significant cancer diagnosis that usually has to be reasonably significant before talking about chemotherapy. And then the process that they go through in terms of coming to terms with that diagnosis, coming to terms with how the rest of their life has to be juggled around, the chemotherapy, sort of fear of getting through the chemotherapy, the sort of sense of accomplishment and direction that they get through mastering the experience of having chemotherapy. And when they come out of it, the sort of process that they take to get on with the rest of their lives. I think that whole journey, like any stress and challenge in life, can be one which really propels people into a new phase of life, one which is sort of made more vivid and more meaningful having had the experience. There's a lot of talk about the negatives of being diagnosed. In a kind of really strange way, it can make you appreciate life a whole lot more. Mm, I really think it can. Starting chemotherapy is pretty difficult to get your head around. Is there something that patients can do to prepare for their chemo session at hospital? That's one thing that we really focus on. And we have a lovely environment to have people come and have their treatment here. And often people come over before, and we encourage people to come over and see the area before they have their treatment. And they realise it's not that scary. And they see people sitting in the chair and they think, oh, it's not that, it doesn't look too bad. And we actually, you know, we really... We talk to them and we reassure them that we know what's going on and what's what's going be ahead of them. And it's just step by step. And we encourage people to bring family members and things like that. So I think it would be absolutely horrific to be told that you have cancer and then come up here and not know what to expect. But we try and help educate the patient and be with them along the way. We're part of the ride. There's a lot of things that help during the treatment. There's people to talk to, morning tea, afterwards. We also encourage people to really take on what they're having and look after themselves. And we we educate them on the side effects and what to expect and then ways of dealing with that. And it's not till they get home they think, what did they say? So we write a lot of things down and we let them know that they can call us anytime, any time of the day, whatever. We're here for them, you know, and there's no such thing as a silly question. We really want to be here and help them. And I think we need to be able to work together and build a rapport you know I say to people just call us that's what we're here for and we have a lot of information and we don't encourage people to go doctor googling or anything like that because too much information can be quite overwhelming letting patient know that we will be here for them if they have any questions. How do our chemotherapy treatments compare to those on offer from overseas? Basically all of the chemotherapy we've got here is identical to the chemotherapy which they have in the States and Europe. So we're very blessed to have the the funding system for chemotherapy that we have in Australia. They're not cheap drugs. Well, some of the melanoma medications, part of which is paid for by the government, part of which is currently funded by the the drug company, the cost for the first three months is $30,000 per treatment times four and then $8,000 every three weeks after that. So they're very expensive medications. It must be just wonderful to have an arsenal of such significance mm. as well to be able to throw it at different cancers. It is melanoma. When I was training in 2003 to 2005, we basically had no treatments for We had some ineffective chemotherapy. But then the targeted agents came along and then the immunotherapies and the whole field's transformed. There's some nuts and bolts about chemotherapy and managing it as a patient that will surprise you. 
Doing those little things like have they got a, a patch on their central line, for example, before for their port, just a numbing patch so that when we put a cannula in or a needle in, it doesn't hurt. So even that can just be good preparation for them to know we're trying to make everything run as smoothly and as painlessly as possible. Or even just asking, how do you feel about needles? Is there something we can do for that? Because clearly that's one of the first things we have to do to start treatment is to get a drip in or get access to their veins. What do you want patients to do if they're sort of getting themselves ready for a session in the hospital? Look, we have all sorts of patients that have all sorts of degrees of anxiety around. Some are just have always been terrified of hospitals. Some have had terrible experiences. Some are probably like you, you know, I've watched every movie and think that chemo is just going to be the absolute horror of all horrors. There are always things we can do to help. Some medications, some not, but certainly we have great anti-anxiety medications that can just Take the edge off. It doesn't mean you won't forget what's happening to you or that you'll be zonked out through it. But certainly if your anxiety is at a level where you're kind of feeling sick and you're wondering if you can actually walk in the door, you've got to tell your doctor or tell your treating nurses because it's certainly something that we'll be familiar with and we'll be able to start off with really little gentle doses of anti-anxiety medication that can help you, but also just talking about relaxation methods, deep breathing, mindfulness. So there's lots of different non-medicated things we can offer, but For some people, it really just is a matter of, I just need to get through this and I don't care if I'm sleepy through it or however I can manage. But I don't think in all my years now, and especially recently, that I've ever had someone complain of a side effect or an anxiety that we haven't been able to alleviate in some way. You would see lots of patients that would just like to go in and get it over and do it on their own, but sometimes people prefer a much more social sort of experience and bring someone in and it's a very individual thing and some people as you say like to get into their own world not be to be distracted but probably at least a half or two-thirds of patients have someone with them a family member friends that are around the three or four hours or part of the three or four hours that the chemotherapy often takes i think maintaining your social contacts and life outside of the cancer sort of experience is really important having regular contact with your gp keeping up your exercise levels and keeping weight down, looking after your psychological health through all of those things and social contacts is probably an important part of things. We're actually encouraging patients to keep normal, be normal. Don't let the cancer take control of your life. You stay control of your life by doing the things that you do normally, like if you work and you're able to work or if you still like to exercise, exercise to some degree, as long as your oncologist is happy with all that. There's a lot of research out there at the moment for exercise and people having going through a cancer experience and cancer treatment and exercise helping them deal with a lot of the side effects. So one day, who knows, doctors might be prescribing exercise instead of anti-nausea medication. Well, there's an evolving sense that exercise is probably a good thing around the time of having chemotherapy. It's very early days in that research. There was a recent program on TV about that and exercise physiology for the purpose of keeping weight down, but for a whole range of reasons, possibly some effect of in making the chemotherapy more effective is in its infancy, but becoming more of an interesting in oncology. You're not lying down in a bed. You've got a big, ugly armchair. They're not you... ugly. They're beautiful. <laughs> not they're they're like ugly. Beds. We think, they're comfy. Yeah, they're comfy. And they can lie all the way down, but they're also designed that if, you know, not that we ever have to touch wood, but if we ever had to manage things like an airway in an emergency or something, that we can have you in a completely flat, safe position to treat you in that situation. So they are designed for medical safety, but really they're they're mostly for the patient's comfort so that they can put their legs up and down or recline or do how, you know. And we can lift you up to a good height so that the nurses aren't breaking their backs, bending over, doing things. 
And if you feel like it, which is a bit odd, you can get a cup of coffee, get lunch. Oh, yeah, definitely. If you're here during mealtimes, we'll always make sure that you get a hot meal. But we have these volunteer ladies, mostly, that are here every day. and They're mad for making a cup of tea and are handing around a tray of scones or something. But that's all part of hospitality and creating a less clinical atmosphere and a bit more homely. And a lot of patients will sit back and take on that patient role. But again, over time, they're up offering other people cups of tea and offering their visitors cups of tea. The days of feeling nauseated and feeling sick through treatment are really much behind us. We have very few patients that wouldn't enjoy something to eat during their treatment and maintain a pretty good appetite. In the week afterwards, there's fatigue. I really didn't like going out in case I came across somebody with a bug. Most of the bugs come from one's own system, from your skin or from the teeth or from the bowel. One doesn't need to be a hermit having chemotherapy and you know we encourage people to have as normal lives as possible really. People don't need to be staying in bed for 10 days because they're having treatment. They can have their treatment in a chair here and then go home to their family and there might be a few days where they're a little bit low and we tell them that it's it's okay to have a pyjama day every now and then for the blinds and put a movie on. It's okay to have that day, but realise that just try and get up, do normal things, helps them feel better. And what about the people that say that you've got to think positively, avoid sugar, drink green juice? The thinking positively angle has been pretty clearly found to be not an issue. There was a trial, Peter McCallum, of people who were positive and optimistic and people who were pessimistic, and the pessimistic people did just as well as the optimistic people. I think there's a large sense that you have to be positive, you have to be brave, you have to do all these positive things so that you've got a higher chance of the disease responding, but really makes no difference on the disease biology, and people can feel quite guilty about feeling scared or feeling anxious or feeling worried, none of which makes any difference apart from those negative emotions being potentially bad for your quality of life. That's good to know. Mm. What about the green juices? Well, there's no actual evidence that any of those things have any benefit. There is a sort of big body of opinion, most of which is fairly unfounded about what extreme things you need to do. I think the tendency, if you've got an extreme thing like a cancer in your life and previously or currently being in your body, the tendency is to say, well, it's my fault. It's something I've done. It's something I've done about diet or something which I can sort of treat aggressively and emphatically and make some big sacrifice now to undo, to sort of try and restore the balance. But there's no evidence that any of that's required. I think it's best to just go gently and have a normal diet and eat healthily and do a bit of exercise and sort of take the pressure off yourself. We have some patients that'll come in and I just can't believe that they've even got through their three months of treatment and they haven't been an inpatient once. They've managed to stay well. And a lot of that is luck about whether you get an infection or something. But some patients, they do. They just skip through three months of treatment and they're not in hospital in between at all. Some people would be a bit stressed that they're not in a medical setting getting looked after with all their side effects. But as a nurse, it's better to be as independent as you possibly can during this treatment. Oh, without a doubt. And keeping up as much of your normal lifestyle routines as you can. Just psychologically, nothing like sleeping in your own bed. It's a myth to come into hospital for a rest. Mostly you just get harassed by nurses wanting to do obs and machines beeping and things going on overhead and it's not a place to get rest. So while I'm always going to acknowledge that chemotherapy is a huge hurdle, chemotherapy is not impossible. Your amazing clinicians today were Liz McEncroy, Nurse Unit Manager, St John of God Ballarat Hospital. I really wanted you to meet my oncologist, Craig Carden. Dr Craig Carden, medical oncologist, Ballarat Cancer Care and Ballarat Health Services. 
and my oncology nurse, Heather McAvale. Heather and I am a registered nurse, but a clinical nurse specialist in oncology and have been for the last 10 years here in St John of God here in Ballarat and working now in the oncology centre, which is called Anamkara. So what advice from our cancer survivors? Again, with their range of experiences of chemotherapy. It's never really over, is it? No, it's your entire life, that's it. Once you've been diagnosed, you've got it for the rest of your life. Even if they say, well, I'm stable, you're never past it because there's always a worry in the back of your head. I wish someone had told me that you can live on chemo long term. I thought chemo was how many cycles and I've recently found out I've done over 40 <laughs> and, and there's no stopping. Like for me, I'll be doing chemo for the rest of my life and I'm stable, but you can live on chemo for a long time. I would like to know how far, I still don't know that. The doctors still don't talk about that, how long you can live on chemo for, but I'd like to have met someone who'd been on chemo long-term when I was first starting, because I'd never met anyone sort of more than 12 months of chemo. Because being a mum, you don't give up. No, you just keep going, and when you're tired, you sleep when they're at school. I've only got one child, but I sleep when he's at school, and try and be awake when he's at home, so. It's a long game, but it's, I like to think of it as a marathon, not a sprint, and I think it's, that's for everyone. I think it was really helpful that I could have my treatment in Ballarat, so I didn't have to travel. It was very close, like I saw an oncologist that was local, I could have all of my treatment locally, and that just made it easier with kids, being able to do it locally. Because this, keep asking them, and I always say to the doctor, I know I'm a pest and I, I'm a, you know, a bit of a fly in the ointment, but I need to know, and what about this or this or that, because my mind's always going around what will happen with this and that and something else, so you have to keep persisting and asking. Not everyone has the strength to take control of their own well-being, and that's something that we have to learn, to be in control of ourselves. Finding support groups, it took me 12 months to find a support group for my particular type of cancer. And it doesn't have to be the same cancer, just the same life circumstance or the same cancer. It's nice to have both. And I think most people try and find at least someone with the same cancer and someone in the same sort of life. And you can go to more than one support group. They support you in different ways. Because you have to do it. Like you can't turn around and say, no, I'm not gonna do it because you've got little people looking after you. Look, they can't do anything. They're six weeks old, so you have to say yes. You don't get a choice. Our cancer survivors. Oh, and I'm a cancer survivor too. I'm Penny Johnston, and I really hope you find this cancer survivor guide helpful. And we could not have accomplished the Cancer Survivor Guide podcast series without our partners, Grampians Integrated Cancer Services and the Health Issues Centre, Consumer Voices for Better Health Care.